first, a word from our sponsor, the insurance people. Medicare open enrollment has started now through December 7th. Do you need help enrolling? Are you ready to shop your Medicare supplement, Part D medication, or Medicare Advantage plan? The insurance people, located in Illinois, specializes in helping you select the best Medicare option for your needs. You can find them at insurancepl.com. That is insurance, our favorite word, followed by the letters PPL, or call 773-697-8082. Again, insurancepl.com or 773-697-8082. Hello, I'm Gail. And hello, I'm Catherine. We are the active voice of women over 70, aging reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. Visit womenover70.com to make a donation, discover our books for women section, and learn more about the Women Over 70 community. Invite us to conduct workshops or speak to your organization. We share clips from our podcast and offer strategies that enrich women's lives as they age. And today we welcome Eileen Dillon, who is 79 to Women Over 70. Eileen has lived in an RV full-time since 2017. When we first spoke, Eileen, you were house-sitting for your sister in Plano, Texas. For 13 years, you produced your own show, Full Power Living, and focused on awakening the world to the power and importance of human emotions, airing over 600 episodes. You're an author on emotional mastery and wellness, a professional speaker, marriage and family therapist, and clinical social worker. Eileen says she is a recovered, angry person. It is possible to put anger under one's own direction. Her third husband died of prostate cancer in 2016, and since 2017, life has moved in new directions, though she still meets with clients on Fridays. The idea of living in an RV is not new. so. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you, Gail. You're very welcome. And and would we can we start by you telling us about the time you lived on a houseboat? And oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, well, uh, that was very early in my life. I got married when I was 19, and my husband and I were students at the College of William and Mary in Virginia. And he got a bee in his bonnet that we had to get out of Dodge. We both came from dysfunctional families, and uh, that would put us about a, a continent away from that dysfunction. So we actually bought a um, uh, a, a step van, a, a delivery van, and put everything we owned into it and drove across country and ended up in Seattle. And we didn't know anybody in Seattle, but at William and Mary, we had talked with one of our professors who knew a couple that owned a houseboat dock in, um, in Seattle. And when we got there, we looked them up and they had an empty houseboat on their dock that was renting for $65 a month. Mm -hmm. That was in 1963 or 64, somewhere in there. And um, and we started renting it, and we lived there for five years until 
my husband uh, joined the army to avoid, uh, as he said, becoming cannon fodder for the Vietnam War. He became a, a lieutenant and mm-hmm. uh, we got transferred to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And So yeah, what about, uh, well, I just realized I didn't say anything about living on the houseboat. There's, as most people know, there are thriving houseboat communities in Seattle, and we lived on a um, a dock where there were 13 uh, houseboats moored, and um, it was a beautiful, beautiful way to live uh, out in the middle of Lake Union, which is right in the middle of the city of Seattle, and um, we could um, at the beginning, we couldn't swim because the raw sewage went right into the lake, but they cleaned that up. So eventually we could uh, swim in the lake and we got ourselves the, an old boat and were able to sail. And, you know, our when we, we were going to school, so we got to study uh, outside with mm-hmm. our feet on the railing, um, you know, watching the, the seagulls go by. It was really lovely to live there for five years. And, and then what'd you do? <laughs> we came to San Francisco and um, we lived in uh, uh, a row house in San Francisco. And we had so many arguments there that we hadn't been having in Seattle until we finally figured out we were in a much bigger house and we couldn't hear each other. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, when you when we spoke, you you mentioned that you realized it when you were 50, that you'd been afraid all your life. Yes. Can you explain that and how you overcame it? Oh, sure. Uh, Well, I think this is of importance. Let me let me back up just a minute to say that you mentioned before that I'm a recovered angry person. And uh, my husband ended up leaving me and our 10-month-old daughter mm. uh, uh, unceremoniously a few years after we were, uh, well, it's about eight years after we were married. And I, uh, when he did that, all the anger that had been building up inside of me that I didn't even know was there just started coming out of me, just gushing out of me. And I spent many years, I've actually spent about 50 years figuring out how to master anger, how to get in charge of it. And I was successful with that. And so when I turned 50, I realized, you know what, I've been afraid all my life. Well, I had a birth mother that did not take good care of us. My father was able to become a, uh, uh, have custody of two little girls, three and five, as a single father in 1945, the courts awarded him custody. So you can give an idea of what the, what the care situation was like. And so my early life, you know, I, I didn't have uh, anything really to hang on to except my older sister. And, um, and then my father was in the military and we moved from pillar to post and he was a bit abusive and, Uh, So I was kind of in dangerous territory. So I stayed afraid my entire life. Mm -hmm. And when I turned 50, I went, you know what? I've been afraid my whole life. I've been afraid I won't have enough money. I'm afraid I'm going to be abandoned. I'm afraid 
that I'll speak up too much or whatever. It was fearful about everything. And I thought, well, if I've been able to handle uh, mastery of anger, is it possible I could handle mastery of fear? So I began to think about fear. <clears throat> and what I came up with is that on this earth, we have opposites. We have hard and soft and light and dark. And I began to ask myself, what is the opposite of fear? Mm. What do you think it is? And what I came up with is that it's faith, mm -hmm. not religious faith, but the kind of faith it takes to have us put our head on the pillow at night and think we're going to wake up the next morning, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I also realized that uh, most research shows that people immediately go to the negative. They go, they don't, like if I have fear or faith, I'm going to go to the fear first. Mm -hmm. So the question then becomes, once I'm in fear, how do I get myself to faith? Mm -hmm. so this is my thinking process. And I realized that for myself, I can be argumentative and challenging. So I needed somebody really powerful so I couldn't argue with them. So I picked God. You mm -hmm. don't have to pick God, but I picked God. And I made, I created this little um, ritual for myself. Anytime I noticed I felt fearful, I would ask myself, what if? I had a written guarantee from God that everything is going to be all right. I will be all right. Everything's going to work out. What would I be paying attention to then? Mm. What decisions would I be making? What actions would I be taking? And to the best of my ability, every time I felt afraid, I started doing that, asking myself, well, what if I had a written guarantee from God? And then I would make the decisions and take the actions that would follow from the answer to that. And by and large, the answer is I would go ahead with my life. I wouldn't be full of trepidation and cancel or question or whatever. I'd go forward with what feels right for me. And I started doing that when I was 50. Then when I was about 73, I went on a cruise with my sister and I managed to try to squeeze in some bucket list things. So I swam with dolphins and I ziplined over the jungle in Belize and I swam with a full grown jaguar in the ocean. Now, those are physical dangers and I thought I would feel, uh, I would feel afraid because of it. But I was surprised that I didn't have a second of fear in any of those situations. And so I've been doing it for a little over 20 years. And uh, it just, it, it, you can't get rid of emotions, but you can help them to stay in their place. Their place is as messengers helping us to navigate our lives. Mm -hmm. That's what my book, Emotions in, Motions, uh, in Motion, is about. And so I barely felt any anger at all in these situations. And it was a cause for great celebration for me. Sure. So uh, can I ask, Eileen, I'm so fascinated by this. And um, I, I really like personality inventories. And one of the things that's been a, made, a, become apparent to me is some connection between anger and, uh, and that it may be it, it's caused by underlying fear. And so I'm wondering what connections you make between the two, between anger and fear. 
I really do not make a lot of connection between anger and fear. Mm -hmm. um, to me, anger occurs. The what I call the universal cause of anger is that we develop ideas in our mind about how things are supposed to be in the world. Mm -hmm. This should happen. That should not happen. And if I think you should be polite to me and you're not, I will get angry. If I think you should be straightforward with me and instead you're polite, I will get mm -hmm. angry. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, um, and what is that anger all about? Like uh, one of the examples I like to use is everybody drives on the freeway and so many people get angry about drivers cutting them off on the freeway. Mm -hmm. That means we think drivers should not cut us off on the freeway, mm -hmm. but most drivers cut us off on the freeway. So really what anger is telling us is that we have mistaken ideas about how the world works mm. and anger points out to us you know you got a mistake here uh, lots of people drivers cut others off on the freeway and that's just the way it is and if you update and say oh so you're part of the what 85 percent of drivers who cut others off you'll stop uh, uh, you, you'll your anger the anger will just slowly dissipate mm. it won't be there anymore Interesting. Mm. So your show, Full Power uh, Living, yes. Thank you, Full Power Living. Uh, how? What is? What? What did you focus on with that? I focused on emotions. Um, I've been working on emotions since the nineteen seventies, and then started teaching them to people um, and to families and children. Uh, how to work with them. In 1994, I wrote a series of seven uh, little manuals for parents to help them teach their children how to work with emotions, mm -hmm. like guilt and fear and hurt and uh, grief and those, those kinds of uh, emotions. And um, so I just, uh, I just lost your question. Ask it again. Well, I asked about the show, but really I was asking about you're being an emotional mastery and wellness. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, Gail, the, um, I didn't set out to, to develop emotional mastery. I was just desperate not to have the anger that was just pouring out of me dump mm. on my little child. Mm. And what I found when I went looking for answers, like what causes uh, anger. Uh, where does it come from? How does it work? How do we deal with it? Back in the 70s, there weren't any answers, not even at the School of Social Welfare Library at Berkeley, California, where I had graduated. They didn't have answers because social science researchers did not investigate anger separately from specific diagnoses like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, right? right? So, we didn't know anything about anger. So I started talking with people about what I was learning. I, uh, some of my clients, I mean, I had clients coming in as a licensed clinical social worker. I had people coming in going, I have so much anger. I don't know how to deal with it, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say, well, I've been learning these things. Would you like to experiment? And we would set up like a one week or a three week experiment. And I began to see that what I was learning that was working in my life 
would also work in a whole lot of other people's lives. So I began to develop an understanding of emotions. And I think what you may be referring to is I, uh, one of the places I looked was at the spiritualist church and uh, Aikido. I looked at the, the martial art uh, Aikido and I discovered that anger is energy and I learned how energy worked. And from all of that, I began to also understand that the earth is designed as a big giant school. And we're all here trying, using in this school in order to learn. Mm -hmm. And we have difficulties with emotions and different parts of our lives because we resist emotions. We resist the learning largely because we don't understand that's what we're supposed to do. So part of my message in the world is let's embrace learning. When you feel angry or you feel fear, ask yourself, what could I possibly be trying to teach myself by having this experience in my life? Because when we turn and learn from those experiences, when we don't learn from them, they repeat and repeat and repeat. And every repetition is more painful than the last. But when we do learn from them, we're immediately free and we can move on to other things. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I should point out that my work has not been to be a big um, uh, idea person. I've been very motivated by trying to find things that actually work. And I have a lot of faith right now. I'm writing books. I'm about to uh, give a TEDx talk called uh, Rethinking Anger and write a book on that topic as well. Mm -hmm. I have my book Emotions in Motion. I've written a book that's not published yet on uh, uh, outgrowing manipulation. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm just uh, dedicating my life at this point to sharing all this incredible stuff that I've been able to learn that has made my life really good. And I know because interestingly, during, during COVID, a lot of people who had worked with me sometimes up to 40 years previously looked me up and said, I need a little checkup here. And mm -hmm. I found out that they'd been following what we had uh, discovered in our work with emotions all those years and still working, that was still working for them. Mm. You know, Eileen, this is really, this is also very fascinating to me. I, I I've done a fair amount of work connect, at neuroscience and learning and affect uh -huh. neuroscience and trying to bring um, attention to the importance of emotions in in the whole learning process. And right, so talking about is really interesting. I was going to ask you if there are particular frameworks or inventories or models that have mo you know been most informative for your own work but it, it sounds like you really are uh, a leader uh, you said you were yes leading. the old one-of-a-kind so, person learning from the school kind. of hard knocks but yes <laughs> <laughs> well you know i i have i'm open to learning from other people but i was really driven by what i could figure out that would work mm -hmm. for me yeah Mm -hmm. And uh, as I got it to work, uh, I there there are other people who talk about emotional mastery, but to date, I haven't run into anybody that has a system that 
is the same as the one I have. And it's just amazingly effective. I, you know, I'm turning 79 this month. I travel by myself. People say, aren't you afraid? Uh, uh, that must take a lot of courage. I don't, uh, you, are you lonely? And I don't do loneliness. I don't do fear anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think it takes courage because cur the definition of courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. And if you're mm -hmm. not feeling afraid, then you don't have to do courage. And I'm not doing anger and I'm not doing jealousy and a whole lot of emotions that used to run my life. And this uh, approach for working with emotions just has given them, giving those emotions a place uh, where they are helpers and I consult them and they help me, but they don't take me over. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, this is fascinating and I, we could go on on this topic for a very long time, but I'd like to switch gears. Okay. Ask you about your decision to give up all of your physical uh, uh, life that you you were living and and begin to live in an RV and travel. What tell us a little bit about that? Well, a lot of people would think that I had thought about it before. I did not. <laughs> I should have known. <laughs> my my uh, after my husband died, I thought I would sit in our lovely home that we had in the San Francisco Bay Area and contemplate my navel for at least a year. And my son came to me and he's, uh, he was about 40 or so, close to 40. And he said, Mom, how much money do you have? How long do you intend to live? How do you want to use the money that you have? Would you like to pay taxes and upkeep on this house or would you like to do something different? <laughs> and his questions spoke to me. And I thought, you know, I had been working for years and I love the work that I do. I'm back, like you offered before, Gail, I'm back doing it again. I'm spending one day a week uh, coaching people uh, and I love it. Uh, but um, I realized that I, I needed to do something different as I was getting older. And I thought, well, this is something that I think might be fun. Let's try it out. And I had some clients who came, they were getting an Airstream. I have a leisure travel van. Uh, they were getting an Airstream and they were taking off. And I looked up the Airstream on the internet and there was the leisure travel van, which is made for two people, but barely has enough room for one if you, if you are a little bit of a, a pack rat. Um, <laughs> at any rate, I decided that's what I really wanted to do. And my children helped me. My daughter helped me with the, with the purchase. And my son helped me set up a Wi-Fi system and solar so that I can go off grid and, and uh, boondock, go out in the, in the woods by myself, which I really wanted to do. And, uh, and I took off and I found out I love it. Mm. <laughs> and so... That's what, uh, four years now that you're doing this? Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Four years, four uh -huh. and are a half. You, are you traveling uh, around the United States? How, how are you? I, I'm traveling in doing? North America. Uh -huh. uh, I, my first trip, my husband and I, Bob, uh, we had planned a trip to 
the Canadian Maritimes, Nova Scotia and uh, New Brunswick and the mm -hmm. Prince Edward Island. Mm -hmm. And it was canceled back in 2004 because my sister got herself medically stranded in uh, Germany um, and uh, had cancer and we wanted to get her home. So we canceled our trip. So internally, I, I've really just been following my heart and internally I needed to do that trip. So my first trip, I I took off from my daughter's house in North Carolina and I drove up into Pennsylvania, went to Niagara Falls and then across New England and into the Canadian Maritimes. And I took two months in the fall to travel in those areas. And I had a wonderful time. I just loved that, that trip. And, and do, where do you stay when you're traveling like that? Where, where do you park your RV? Well, there are a variety of places you can stay, Gail. Um, at, in the beginning, I was affiliated with a group called Boondockers Welcome. And these were a couple of ladies in uh, Canada <coughs> who were recruiting people to share property that they owned with RVers who would be coming by their place. And so that trip, I stayed with boondockers, uh, people who were offering me uh, essentially at that time a free place to stay. And they were also very interested in meeting other people. So I made a lot of really good friends and I was very well taken care of. Um, and it, it was very pleasant. They have now <clears throat> combined with Harvest Hosts, which is a group of farmers and uh, uh, um, vintners and uh, even uh, golf clubs uh, that uh, that want people to know more about um, ag the agrarian world mm -hmm. of our country so you can stay uh, at a place where they make wine for example you can stay overnight um, also you can hire rv parks um, and I, as I said before, I boondocked, for example, in Arizona, I spent two weeks on the side of a dirt road and uh, enjoyed myself tremendously. There are lots of lovely places you can stay in this world. Yeah, you, um, uh, our listeners can't see, but you recently broke your arm. Yes. Yes. And so are you, are you continuing to travel in the RV or how, how are you managing that? Um, it's only been two weeks and the good news and the bad news is I broke my arm at my daughter's house and I just feel very fortunate. I have a granddaughter who lives here who is busy applying for medical schools and has just become licensed as a nurse's assistant. And so I have individualized professional medical <laughs> care right where I am. <laughs> and she's she's delightful she takes me to my appointments she helps me to shower and um i'm you know it's going to take me a little while to mend uh but i'm right at this moment i'm pretty happy with how i'm doing um as i told you before we got on the air i'm not in pain and uh, i feel like um uh things are mending. I go to the doctor tomorrow to find out for sure. But, um, but I feel 
very good. I've always been an alternative medicine person. My husband, Bob, uh, who died of prostate cancer, he uh, was a neurosurgeon. And we had a very interesting life because I'm an alternative medicine person. I haven't had a wide spectrum antibiotic for 40 years. And he's a, he was a medical doctor. And um, so um, it, 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 this has been fine for me because I've been able to use a lot of the things that I've learned over the years to help my body to recover. And it seems to me to be responding quite well. Mm-hmm. So do you hope to go on the road again after? Oh, yes. I'm hoping, actually, that in two weeks I can take a plane to Vancouver, British Columbia, so I can uh, deliver my TEDx speech. Yes. That's, and then uh, I have been told by the doctor, my sister has invited me to go to Egypt uh, for a cruise down the Nile River in February. And the doctor said, you'll be able to go to that for sure. So I may leave my van here. So, you know, I'm not obliged to always drive my van. I I can get on a plane and I Mm -hmm. can go on a boat and have other kinds of fun traveling. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 uh, so does any of this make you think about your own aging? Well, before I got started, uh, with the RV, I did a lot of thinking about aging and what does it mean. And um, I, uh, you know, I looked at the fact that uh, we spend a whole lot of our lives becoming capable and vital. And then uh, in many ways, it slowly gets subtracted from us. And what an interesting, um, process that is. And I also came to the conclusion that as we get older, we become a little more inwardly focused and more concerned about doing for others. But more important was, uh, for me anyway, was I asked myself, what kind of older years do I want to have? Um, And I decided that I wanted them to continue much in the way my younger years have gone. I want them to be interesting and varied and uh, with uh, as much adventure as I can handle. And um, I had this vision of life being like a baseball game. And when you start getting older, you're on third base. And Mm -hmm. they're two ways to go into home from third base. You can go in sliding on your face or you can go in running, standing up. Mm -hmm. And I decided I want to go in standing up. (laughs) A wonderful thought. Beautiful. Really beautiful. Well, the time has a way of passing very quickly. Uh Oh, That's too bad because we we're in trouble now. <laughs> so much more. You, we'd love to hear from you. At any rate, we thank you for being here, Eileen. It's my yes. pleasure. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, Eileen. Uh, and listeners, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen or visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can easily access all of our episodes and you can become a member in the Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined Circle. And we'll see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined.